From new and burdensome rules to delays in government-wide contracting vehicles to congressional new blood, federal contractors face a daunting year. For a few of the items at the top of the list, we turn to federal sales and marketing consultant Larry Allen. And Larry, let's start with one of the bread and butter issues, which is simply the need for the General Services Administration to get some of those government-wide acquisition vehicles finished and out the door. Tom, this is going to be a big year for GSA. They've got a lot on their plate in terms of contracting and some very major program renewals. So first up for in terms of newer or extension programs for them is the Alliant 3, IT, GWAC. This is the agency's main government-wide acquisition contract for IT solutions. Alliant 2 has been phenomenally successful. It's very popular with government agencies. And Alliant 3 is expected to be no less popular, Tom. The big issue for GSA on Alliant 3 is that they have a short time frame to get the new procurement out the door. And unfortunately, one of the byproducts of that is that uh, that provides reduced opportunities for discussion with industry. We'll have to see how that goes. But overall, I think both GSA and its contractor partners would like to have more discussions, just don't have the time. After Alliant 3, in terms of extended programs, on the services side, we have GSA's really popular OASIS program that's up for renewal. The new iteration of that contract is OASIS Plus. That contract is expected to be out sometime this year again. Massive, it's supposed to be much larger than the current OASIS contract. We'll have to see how size mixes with manageability here, Tom. You want a contract that provides users with options, but you also don't want to get them bogged down in having to use a contractual GPS to find what they're looking for. And we also haven't gotten to the stage yet of pre-award protests even, correct? So neither of those contracts are out in the RFP process yet. I expect that they probably will draw protests because they're big procurements. But one contract that we know that is already under protest at GSA is the Small Business Polaris program. And it really is a shame because this program now is being, in some cases, significantly delayed by protests, some that have gone to the Court of Federal Claims. In the meantime, Tom, IT business is getting done. IT business is getting done via other small business contracts, some of them at GSA. So you know, it's kind of an irony that the small businesses that keep protesting Polaris are hurting themselves as well as other small businesses because government's not sitting still here. It's continuing to buy from small firms via other contracts. And speaking of contractors, this rule that is pending with respect to the requirement that contractors, pretty much all of them, above a certain size, and that size is pretty small, will have to do to demonstrate carbon issues. Right, Tom, we're talking about the proposed rule on greenhouse gas emissions, and it's a tiered implementation, starting with certain requirements if your company does as little as $7.5 million a year in government business, and it goes up. So the more you do, the more reporting, the more mitigation requirements you're going to have to meet. Ironically, we've already started seeing this appear in some GSA solicitations in various ways, even though it's just a proposed rule at this point. Also, I think what's worth noting is we tend to look at things inside acquisition and why not? That's our area, right? This is the business that we do. But greenhouse gas emission rules are not something that's unique to government acquisition. And I think it's really important on this issue to take a step back 
and look at what the Securities and Exchange Commission is doing. They're working on a similar, but of course not really identical rule that would cover commercial companies, commercially traded companies. The SEC hasn't even gotten out yet with their draft rule. So I'm urging caution here for the FAR Council and GSA in terms of the greenhouse gas rule. Look, everybody wants to be pro-environment, but if you don't coordinate with other agencies, you run the risk of saddling companies with disparate requirements that really add up to increased paperwork and overhead. That's increased cost. And even though we're in the age of electronic transmission, Tom, you know that's going to result in a few more trees going down. Right. Yeah. Well, that takes care of the green agenda on that end of things, I guess. We're speaking with Larry Allen. He is president of Allen Federal Business Partners. And I wanted to ask you also about the group of House Republicans. I guess among them are those that were the recalcitrant 20, you might say, in preventing an early and quick vote on Kevin McCarthy being the speaker. But they oddly, I guess, in terms of historically how Republicans have treated the defense budget, They are looking for cuts there. They are. They've come out and said that was one of the conditions that this cadre of House Republicans made in order for Speaker McCarthy to get their support. And now we have here the specter of potentially having reduced defense spending. I wouldn't get too far ahead of that uh, (laughs) right now, though, Tom. It's January 2023. A number of these members, not all of them, they're either first or second term members. They may not have a full awareness yet that there's probably a lot of DOD contracting business that comes through their districts, which translates into a lot of jobs and a good economy that in turn allows them to run for Congress. So I'm predicting that we're going to see some of this rhetoric maybe change by the time pen comes to paper or electronic pen comes to virtual paper, however we do it these days, in terms of what a defense budget, defense spending proposals might look like. First, once these members get a little more education from their home teams about just what defense spending means there, we've seen it happen before. People get a new understanding of exactly what that entails. It's not some abstract thing. It's real. Sure. The other factor, Tom, is World events have a way of overcoming the best uh, policy plans. And we've seen this particularly happen before with defense spending. So again, here we are in January. You know, we have all kinds of nation-sponsored threats, whether it's China, North Korea, Russia. We also have a lot of non-national threats in terms of some of the various terrorist groups around the world, particularly in the Middle East. Any one of those or any combination of those that decide they want to make an issue of things could really have an impact on what actually gets spent. So my advice to contractors is not to sit back and do nothing. You want to make sure you're telling the story to your elected officials about what defense spending means for them and for your company. But if you do the work that you're supposed to do, all things being equal, I think that the rhetoric that we're seeing now may soften a little bit particularly because the call for reduced defense spending is just in this one area. It's not really shared across the board. Right. And companies should always weigh in on rulemaking. We mentioned earlier the greenhouse gas proposed rule. There's also the proposed rule from the Federal Trade Commission on doing away with any sort of non-compete contracts. That's a big initiative by the administration to try and end non-compete agreements I know this is a big issue for government contractors, as it is for other businesses. And that's just another example, Tom, to your point 
of why contractors need to understand the environment in which they're doing business. It's not just, unfortunately, responding to RFPs and RFQs and having a great sales process. You have to pay attention to the regulatory front, whether it's non-compete agreements, greenhouse gas, or a new cybersecurity initiative. All of these could fundamentally impact the way you go to market. Larry Allen is president of Allen Federal Business Partners. Thanks so much. Tom, thank you very much, and I wish your listeners happy selling. And we'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org slash get-involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics. I um, One of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from, from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of, of people with intellectual disabilities and, and, and physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. And so I, I knew that I knew that work a bit. You know, they they basically were in d- direct care. And and I will say, and on a, obviously we'll say about my my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but uh, the the men and women that do take care of people with uh, pr- profound disabilities are are really um, you know we we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they're they're really heroes, and um, so I was I was drawn when I I and I just saw that you know Special Olympics was looking for someone, and I thought well you know I'll take a look at it and see, see you know throw uh, send in my information, and lo and behold I I, I get hired, and um, I learn. Uh, every day, almost something from, especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington, D.C. And, you know, uh, Terrell, who who works in, in our mailroom, who comes by with packages and deliveries. Uh, if you're having a day that's, you know, getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by, always happy, always enthused uh has a has a good story like it can just turn a day around for you and 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 you think of i i you know so often when he'll walk away i'll be like you know whatever was bothering me or whatever is you know stressing me out and come on you know like look at look at terrell like he he, he faces everything with optimism and 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 i've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the united states and globally you see people who have had everything stacked against them you know, their parents, when they were born, were often told this is a tragedy and you should, you should, you know, send your, this child away. Don't, don't, you know, and kind of forget about them, Get, turn them over to the state or, or wherever. And, and, you know, that, you know, just kind of wash, wash your hands of it. Um, and, and, and in, in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. 
Um, and but they've still faced enormous challenges, you know, and but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming and uh, and, and, you know, besting their times from from their last competition. And they're so committed and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs. And, and, and I've seen so much perseverance and grit uh, from a- the athletes of Special Olympics that uh, I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman, uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more, uh, we get more than we give. Uh, working with Special Olympics, it, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do, but but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That that you know, it's a, and it's so unique and it's so uh, joyful and and uh, I mean, we work hard and you know, we we're up against you know the things that nonprofits are up against and you know the you know the issues of the day. But uh, man, you see, it, it, and 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 the inclusion and the at Special Olympics, no one's excluded. You know, no, right. no one's excluded. Everyone yeah. is equal at Special Olympics. It, and, you know, in a country that's quite divided on so many lines, politically and uh, socially, uh, economically, race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot. But you go to Special Olympics and everyone's involved. Everyone's welcome. Everyone's equal. And I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics in experience the power of Special Olympics for themselves, I, I, I can't imagine that one help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get, how can listeners get involved in Special Olympics? Ways to get involved? Uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials, uh, and, and the thing that, that, that uh, Tim Shriver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I mentioned earlier, um, where people and, and it doesn't have to be. Uh, it's not just school age. It's it's, uh, you know, we say nine to ninety nine or uh, year old uh, folks uh, that play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together. Uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think, when you when you go back to the founding uh, of our organization, what Mrs. Tri- Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to, to uh, create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and, and celebrate differences and that our athletes, man, are some of the grittiest, 
people that you will meet and and uh and there's a lot to learn from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is is how you'll learn it check us out uh you know uh, specialolympics.org on on our website uh that will link you to your local program you can follow through the the clicks of how to get involved and where what's closest to you you'll enjoy it i can promise you that well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and we'll uh, talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.